Yeah, I'm a big um, scotch is probably my favorite spirit from if I'm just going to have something straight. But I'm also a huge gin fan as well. So I, I don't I, think there's anything on like a hot day. I think gin and yeah. tonic is just perfect. That's I was just about to say that is the, probably my favorite. Yep summertime drink welcome back nerds rpg variety cast i'm your host jason i just want to give you a heads up on this interview that eric's wi-fi cut out a couple times so there are a few times during this podcast the interview where you have some dead air a few seconds of dead air and that's because bad wi-fi on his end i after the interview i talked to him about cutting back on his liquor budget so he could afford better wi-fi but i think pretty much you can get get the gist of it so i didn't cut any of that out I just left it in it like it is, and I and I think you can pretty much get what he's saying, you know, the whole time. But I just want to let you know those dead little dead spots of air, you know, what they were. So, with that, without any further ado, let's get on with the interview. So a couple episodes ago, Eric Sawsweedle of the Omega Three D Chicken Coop podcast called in and brought up an interesting question. I'm going to replay that call. Oh, Jason Zach from Omega Three D Chicken Coop feel like on an accent and calling your show mate anyway that was my poor whatever accent anyway have no idea how many parts this message is going to be so here it goes player agency so back in the day olden days when i was a young lad running role-playing games i probably did a real crap job with player agency i had kind of like uh an idea that i was going to run um, you know, my version of Lord of the Rings or Wheel of Time or the Belgariot or the Malorian, a name epic fantasy series. I read them all back in the day, and I wanted my role-playing games to emulate that. Well, to emulate that, you kind of have to have a, a moderately rigid storyline where you expect players to do certain things. Kind of like the Pathfinder adventure path that uh, a caller had discussed on a previous episode. So, after a 10-year break of the hobby and getting back into it, playing a little bit, running a couple games, getting my feet wet again, I listened about player agency and, you know, games being on tracks and quantum ogres and everything, and I thought to myself, how can I achieve a game where player agency is key, and like Liren said, the decisions that the players make matter and drive the outcome of the story. And I, as the game master, react to it. I don't feel like I have perfected it yet. I'm sure most of us are always trying to get better, and I'm definitely in that category. Uh, but what I did like in my last Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells campaign that just wrapped up, I feel like I was able to kind of drive that player agency a little bit more. And I'll give a few examples of how that worked. So first things first, I use the Escape from Skull Prison adventure that is part of the Solar Blades rulebook. I had zero plans of what would happen if the players escaped from the prison. Heck, the players didn't even need to escape from the prison if they didn't want to. Well, they probably wanted to. What they didn't know was the prison was going to blow up. But I guess they could have potentially stopped that if they would have tried. I would have let them or come up with an idea. Anyway, so they escaped the prison. I have no idea where they're going to go, what they're going to do. We're just going to use the random tables in the book, and we're going to make stuff happen. And one of the players at the time invoked their complication and summoned some intergalactic space mercenaries. There was a small fight. They escaped. And from there, 
it was like, okay, well, they're now going to do a random star jump to a random location. I need to figure out what's going to happen now. All right, I'll give two more examples and I'll try to be done. Otherwise, this will be the Omega 3D Auxiliary Chicken Podcast. All right, second example. Players end up at a derelict uh, space station thing that's the size of a city. Um, They're there. I'm expecting them to explore it because one of the characters is looking for someone there. Um, Well, after the second session, that character dropped out of that player dropped out of the game. The other characters were like, hey, this space station's dangerous. Let's leave. And they left. And I had a whole space station mapped out with creatures and a story and everything that could have happened if they would have decided to explore the space station. But instead, they resupplied and said, we're getting the hell out of Dodge. Um, I could have forced the issue and been like, no, your space station doesn't work, or tried to entice them some other way, but they wanted to leave. So I let them leave. The last example was I had to introduce a new character. Um, They were traveling past a planet. This new character was on a ship that was stuck in some sort of, like, void maelstorm around a planet. Um, They escaped with their escape pod, and they rescued him. And, you know, I gave a hook, like, hey, man, you know, you were being sent here to mine something. You're on a mining ship. You know, there's something on that planet. And uh, the characters were like, nope, too dangerous, don't want to deal with it, so we're going to take off. And so they did. Um, Now, at this point, I did realize that my players were very much in survival mode and just kind of traveling through the universe. And Jason, you're one of the players, so you know this. And I needed to, you know, add something that would actually make them want to stick around and do some adventures. I still didn't force them, and you were one of them, into doing stuff and saying, oh, you guys have to do this. What I did was I was like, okay, what can I present to them that's going to make them want to adventure? Because I did want, I wanted you guys to go on missions and do things. I wanted you to do missions that you would enjoy and like, and wanted to give you options, and your decisions on those missions would determine outcomes and drive the story. Um, I developed a meta plot that was happening in the background uh, that developed based on what the player characters did. So, you know, I still gave it player agency. The, the squad could have decided not to join the Red Spear and not done missions. I mean, heck, at one point, I gave the group an option of becoming uh, basically bodyguards slash roadies for an intergalactic punk rock band. Anyway, uh, good episodes on player agency. I think there's a lot more on the bone there to discuss. Uh, take it easy, man. And now that we've heard that again, I reached out to Eric and decided to get him on the show, and we're going to talk about it. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great. Um, my schedule is really busy, though, so I'm glad I was able to squeeze you in. Uh, I'm just kidding. I, I am, <laughs> too. I can tell. I'm, we're sitting here on Zoom, Erickson his pajamas. Um, he, he's uh, got some yeah, My Little Pony much. PJs on. They're, you know, they're, they're very fetching. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, Jason. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying there is. Okay, I'm just checking. Okay. I want to make sure. I, I, I may. I, I may be joking about the My Little Pony pajamas, but um, but no. Yeah, I, I am interested in player agency because I think it's an interesting topic. Because, like I said, I think I said in my in my previous call, I feel like at least when I first started playing, um, 
and specifically probably my mid to late teenage years, I didn't do a very good job at with it as a, as a game master because I wanted to tell a very specific story, right? I was reading all the epic fantasy novels at the time and I wanted my games to be like them. So I tried to do that and inevitably I felt like looking back on it, I probably forced players into things and, you know, did their decisions. So that's kind of my goal nowadays when I play is to create situations where the players choose what happens and then I react to it as the game master. Um, and that, that, you know, that's the ultimate goal, I guess, mm-hmm. or at least in my opinion, I, I think that makes the funnest game. Uh, yeah, I agree. The, yeah, the key is to set up a, you, you know, you set up the scenario and, and you know, the care, you know, you know, your NPCs and know your world, but don't set up the solution. The being in quotes, right. In the one solution for that scenario. And if, you can maybe game, you know, gameplay ahead of time before the game. Think about, well, they might do this, they might do that. But if they do something totally different that you didn't think of, let let them roll with it and see see how it goes. You know. Yeah, and you know, I'll kind of throw it back to Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells because I kind of talked about that in the call. Uh, there were definitely some instances during that game where. I had things set up and like storylines for the characters to go down and the characters just didn't bite on them for whatever reason, either, either I made it seem too dangerous. I didn't make it a tasty enough treat that they wanted to go take a bite out of it, or I misunderstood their motivations and the stuff I was putting out there didn't match up with their motivations. So the characters didn't go with the things that I had offered, which was fine to experience but they didn't experience them and i was like okay well that stuff is just going to keep moving along some of it was subplot so it didn't have an effect on the meta plot but a couple of them were part of the meta plot and that i had going on in the background and so the player's lack of action um or their choice to not get involved at certain times advanced that meta plot along differently and so in the end uh, i'll give a perfect example and i don't think you were playing in this session jason But uh, I had, um, so first off for Solar Blades, I used all random adventure creation. Um, And so everything I rolled was random from the toolkit. Where the player characters were going to encounter um, a sentient star. But the star... I decided was actually imprisoned in a human body and was used, being used by one of the galactic overlords as a weapon, or they wanted to weaponize it and never got around to it. So the player characters go and find the, the, the cryopod that this human being that's in Kate, that's, that's been imbued with this sentient star. And I'm thinking the player characters are going to take the cryopod, right? Like, Hey, we found this cryopod. There's a bunch of people that are after it. It's in this like former military base. Like, let's take it and go figure out what's going on with it. <laughs> they ended up trying to blow it up because they, in their heads, they were like, well, whatever's in that pot is too dangerous. We have to destroy it. Um, so, so they ended up um, detonating a bunch of explosives on it. Now, they didn't know what was in the pod. And so just some mundane explosives aren't going to kill a sentient star. It's too powerful of a being. It's like a godlike being, right? So just some some explosives aren't going to kill it. So then 
you know, after that, I was like, oh man, okay. So they blew that thing up. That's still there. So then a couple sessions later, I had that come back where some mercenaries and, and like a criminal syndicate were fighting over it. And so then the players took it and that ended up becoming that, that pod and what was inside there. Spoiler alert to the, the players never figured out what was in the pod. So uh, I guess maybe Carl is the only player that listens to the podcast. So you'll know what it is. But that was an example of where I definitely was not expecting the players to try to blow up the pod. Like that was the last, the last thing I, you know, would they try to open it? Would they try to take it, not blow it up? Um, so I even asked on, uh, the, uh, Diogo's forum, I'm like, Hey, what do you guys think? What would happen if some players tried to blow up a sentient star at a cryopod? And they're like, uh, and even the game's creator, Diogo's like, oh, it's too powerful. It would, it would have natural protections or whatever. And it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily, um, it was just one of those situations where, you know, I, I definitely wasn't expecting that. Right. What were you expecting us to, to, to don the, the, the dead bee to when, when I made the bee suit out of the, out of no. the bee we killed to, or the wasp to infiltrate the base. No, it didn't dawn on me that that would be a thing. I thought maybe you guys might dissect it. So it's another good example of player agency. So you, Jason's character decided that he was going to, there was these giant like uh, space wasps. I think of giant murder hornets, but the size of a person or bigger. And so Jason like took all the carapace off the outside of it and decided he was going to make a bee costume with it. I was like, hey, he, this is the thing his guy's going to do. I'm not just going to poop on it, right? I, you know, I'm going to let it, I'm going to give him a role. And, you know, it, they, they didn't immediately attack you. They just kind of ignored you. They thought you were just like one of the other drones that may, for whatever reason, was walking around <laughs> on the floor there. But that, that's an example of, I did not think that someone was going to make a bee costume, you know, right. out of, out of that. So but at the same time, I was like, okay, it doesn't break the game. It's it's not unbalanced. Sure, let's let's let it work and see what happens. If let the D twenty roll, and if if he succeeds on his check, then it works. Yeah, I you know it's interesting because there was somebody, I don't remember what podcast it was. Now, I was just a podcast today, catching up. Oh, it was um, Lonely Adventure over in the Camping with Owlbears podcast, and he was talking about how. You, you know, you, you want to play the game that you want to play, you know, as a player, you you want to try to do the things you want to do. Don't necessarily do what everybody else expects you to do, you, you know, and you have to listen to it, totally at the context of what he's saying. But it, which kind of came up in my last Barbarians Lemuria game, I, they were in a labyrinth and I had had an Oracle tell him about the labyrinth and explained to him that the only way to kill the guardians of the labyrinth was through the using the labyrinth against them. The idea you have to like lure them into the traps in the labyrinth to, you know, let the traps disable the minotaur. You couldn't do it with weapons. The okay. barbarians Lemoria has hero points, which are you can you get you know a handful each session, and you can use them to do like extra damage on attack or reroll or stuff like that, do heroic things. And so when they encounter this minotaur, the, initially they'd already passed a couple traps, but they started spending their hero points on hurting the minotaur. And although I had originally planned, well, I'm not going to let, you know, mundane weapons hurt the Minotaur at all. I, you know, they have this precious resource and you have a couple of game and, and they're spending them in rolling good. And, 
And, and you don't want them to say, oh, well, what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You hit it really good, but it doesn't do anything, especially when they're using, you, you know, their, their hero points to do that. So I, I let them damage it. I didn't let them kill it. And then eventually they did, you know, I, and then I had it run away from them and they eventually funneled into one of the traps, which, which then killed it. But, you know, by the way I had written the scenario, you know, none of their attacks would have done anything, but since they were trying to do heroic things and spending resources to let them do that, it didn't hurt anything to let them do that, you know? So on the fly, changed the story up a little bit to let them feel like they were doing something heroic, you know, where the arrow sunk into the minotaur's eye and, you know, it's just the veins sticking out, stuff like that, you know, because otherwise they're like, hey, well, why bother? And, I mean, that's a much smaller scale example than, than like some of the things you're talking about, but, but it's no. there. You don't want what, what you don't want you to do is your characters to feel, Oh, what I'm doing doesn't matter. My choices don't matter. You, you no, know, you I, want them to I, feel like they have skin in the game and their choices matter in the game world. I think that's a great example. Um, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, uh, but it's a uh, gaming and BS. Other uh, two Wisconsin dudes um, got a, a pretty decent following on their podcast. I listened to it and they just actually did an episode called um, losing in RPGs. And one of the things that I, I commented on their forums on about that was that, you know, cause their, their, their whole topic was, can you lose in an RPG? And what you're kind of describing is if you would have, you know, if the characters would have basically blew all their, you know, abilities and powers on this thing and they couldn't hurt it, I think like the real old school, you know, kind of the hardcore GMs would have been like, well, too bad, too sad, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe a TPK would have followed or the characters would have ran away in frustration. But that's one of the things where I feel like I lose in an RPG is when, when you talked about earlier, you said, Hey, when there's the one solution, right? So if, if I'm playing a a module and I've kind of heard about this, about um, adventures league sometimes, is that there might be only one way to do something like you have to move the blocks in a certain order. I like, I like Zelda games, like especially the new ones where you have to do things in a very specific order, either I'm too stupid or I don't have the patience for it. I, your pick, which one it is, but it almost feels like you're losing the game at that point. And it can, and it can drive frustration. Um, I've definitely been in situations before where back in the day where I, I would have, you know, like I wouldn't have let the player characters probably damage the Minotaur in the, in the olden days. Now, you know, you, you could have maybe gave them their hero That, that's an option, but I'm sure the rules don't support that or whatever. But but what I think you did was fine because, you know, the Minotaur, you didn't let them kill the Minotaur, but it, it did run away. And you're like, oh, okay, they're using all their hero points. You know, it's like, I don't know. I'm a fan of the players when I play mm-hmm. games. Like, I you know, I haven't killed a, a player character. Well, I've never killed a player character. They make poor choices and the dice don't like them. But I haven't had a player character die since 1997. <laughs> so oh, Yeah, I, I can't say that. Um, as Carl can attest to, but, 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 but you also are playing, I mean, that was boot Hill and right. some of these more old school games have a higher lethality. Um, now, now, okay, here's agency and a character probably would have died. And this is where Matt, 
um, our buddy Irks, um, mm-hmm. his character in Solar Blades is a robot and or android or whatever you want to call it. And his character did die. His character, uh, I think, was down to zero luck and or some low level of luck. And then that, the way that game, the way that game works, it's kind of like DCC where you roll the body over at the end to see if they're dead and you, and you roll your luck check. Well, if you've depleted your luck through the course of that adventure, your luck might be zero or one or two and you roll a D six. And if you get under equal to or under your luck, then you're still alive. Well, in this case, um, his luck and it wasn't very good. I don't know if it was like a one or maybe even zero, well, one of the characters had um, a skill in robotics and he said, well, can I, you know, make a robotics check to kind of like try to reboot him and see if I can save him. Right. Because that's not something in the rules, right? Like the, the game doesn't have a very detailed skill list. So that's one of those things where I said, you know what, that's actually pretty cool. And, you know, you are a robotics guy. So, yes, you should be able to do something else. If you if you succeed on your role, I'll boost his luck by one point on this death save that he has to make, essentially. And that ended up being the difference. So, Leadfoot, the... Could have been like, ah, whatever. I'm just going to sit back and let the mechanics play out. But, you know, that's not in the rule book. It's not. So the game master, I have to decide that it's okay that that's going to happen. Um, and, and I'm normally a fan of the players. So if they're doing something that's within what I consider their wheelhouse, then they should be able to do it. Um, there's nothing worse than playing a game where like you build a character, especially if it's like a game like Pathfinder or something where you can like really spec out your character. And like, let's say you build your character to be, like he's like amazing at stealth. Like you pour all your points into stealthing, but the game master finds that annoying, right? Because you're too good at it. So then they, they create these like Kobayashi Maru scenarios where you can't win even with your stealth. Like the, your, your, your one skill that you have doesn't work because the game master simply doesn't want, it doesn't want it to work because they're just annoyed by it. I've had that definitely happen in games. Um, you know, I, I don't know when I play games where you can build like characters, I either build one or two types of characters. I build the Jack of all trades, uh, typically a bard <laughs> or, or I build like a mega specialized character that does like one th- that's murdering orcs or identifying magic items or, or they're, they're like a specialist. And I, and I like playing that type of character like I either like playing the I can do everything but I'm not really good at any of it or I'm okay at some of it or the like mega specialist character so, so when so a game or go ahead sorry go, no so when a game master like kind of takes away your agency in my opinion in that situation that can be very frustrating it makes me not want to play the game anymore right so you wouldn't be a fan of like first edition D&D where you're playing a thief and you're moved silently at first levels like 15% that's that's a whole other podcast that we can do where yes i think like labyrinth lord first level thieves are are miserable right <laughs> like, well that's why i like barbarians lamoria because characters start off competent and, and i think yeah. characters should be competent i think if they know see to me your first level thief like picking a lock he shouldn't have 25 percent to pick any lock but maybe he 
but you know, it, it's going to take him longer to, he'll be able to pick lock, but it might take him a normal lock. You know, if you have like the super designer thousand dollar or sure. you know, super expensive lock, it might be harder, but he can pick any normal lock, but it might take him longer than a fifth level thief will take to pick a lock. Right. Right. So, so then a it, random encounter could happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think you do that. You don't make, well, you just can't pick this lock, come back next level and you can try again. You know, that that's kind of that's crazy. Yeah, that's definitely like. We're talking about like unlockable doors. This is kind of a player agency thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say there's a door. And you come up to it. It's the dungeon master put it there for whatever reason. And you're like, oh, I'm a thief. I want to pick it. And they're like, it's locked. I'm like, okay, well, I have a, you know, I'm a ninth level thief. I'm going to try to pick this lock. And they're like, eh, it's, it's impossible. You, you look at it and it's, so now as a player, I'm like, well, what the hell's on the other side of this door? Right. <laughs> that, that, it, that it has to be this unlockable door. And I actually have a real life scenario from this, from my, from the high school days, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. Uh, maybe not quite 30, like 25 years ago. How about that? Uh, I don't know if Mike listens to your podcast, but it was actually in his Planescape game. And I was playing a thief and we came across uh, this door that was unlockable or un- unbreakable or whatever you want to call it. Unlockable mm-hmm. would mean that I could open it very easily, right? <laughs> it, was, right. it was unpickable. Right. Um, so my, my character at the time had very few magic items. And one of my magic items was a portable hole. And I was playing a, a female tiefling thief. A portable hole, I think, in two second edition is three feet wide. So I asked, okay, so is this door locked? And he's like, yes. I'm like, does it have a gap underneath it like most medieval doors? And he's like, yes. I'm like, okay. I pull up my portable hole. I slide it halfway under the door. Walk to the other side. I, I jump up or throw my grappling hook up out the top and I, you know, clink onto it and I crawl out the other side and, and I see what's on the other side of the door. Well, it ended up being nothing. There was nothing on the other side of the door. And so in my head, you know, thinking back on it, I should ask Mike, I don't know if he remembers, maybe it was part, it was part of a module. So I don't know if he was making it up or it was in the module or whatever, but uh, was that just one of those things where like you just randomly put a door here and, you know, you got to think as a game master that, if you put something there, the players are going to try to go and see it. Like if you're describing your new lands, let's say we're talking about the land of Connerly and you're like, um, I haven't uh, prepped that yet. Well, that's where we want to go. You said this is a sandbox uh, hex crawl thing. We're headed there. <laughs> You know, and if you're like, no, you can't go there. It's just, it's, it's impassable. And then it's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of a dick move at that point, in my opinion, because you, you kind of dangled the carrot out there. Now the players made a choice and you're not going to let them right. enact that choice. Yeah. I think it's fair to say, Hey guys, I'm not prepared for that. Can we either maybe do something else for a little bit and I'll prepare that and we can go there next week. Or I, I think that's okay. If you need to do that you know, depending what it is, but yeah, to say, no, you can't ever go there. You know, those are impassable mountains. You can't ever pass them, but yeah, that's a dick move. Definitely. I, I don't think it's a bad move to, if, if you're truly at a point where you, you know, you need time to prep for something, I think it's okay to ask that, but be upfront with the players and let them know that, you, you know what I mean? Right. Or, you know, maybe you do have a plan where there's like a magical barrier that prevents them from going up there and they need to do something first. 
Well, if you're doing like a hex crawl, it would suck to crawl your way all the way up there mm-hmm. and then get there and then be like, oh, there's a magical barrier. You can't get through it. And there's and there's no way. So maybe that, at that point, you probably want to drop a rumor like, hey, you guys have heard of that tower and you magical barrier preventing um, any passage through it. And then either the players can decide then at that point to be like, oh, screw it. We're going to go try to get through it anyway. Or be like, okay, let's go find out what's causing the magical barrier and um, figure out a solution or whatever. Yeah, you mentioned puzzles and that was something else. And I talk about this again in the one. It might be my next episode where I talk about games I played. But so so in this labyrinth, I put them in in Barbarians Lemoria. I did have a couple traps in there that were semi puzzles, but I made them very easy puzzles. I'm not a big fan of like you're talking about. Well, you have to push the buttons in this order, switch the levers in this order, you know, like you know things like that. So they have puzzle, and I, I talk about them in the episode, but they're, they're really simple solutions. And and things that if they looked, I pretty much gave them the answers. You, you know what I mean? If they now they hadn't asked the questions, like I, I you know, like the one was a they came up to a door, so they're coming through the labyrinth. They come in, they come into a room where a torch was already lit. No, they haven't come across any other lit torches in this labyrinth, and they're pretty deep in. There's a four foot high door, three foot wide door, and there's a just a a T handle in the center of the door, and, and currently the handle's horizontal. And there's a torch above the door and they ask, Hey, can I, you know, I look around, I examine everything. So they examine, I describe things and I describe a one inch diameter hole in the wall in line with the flame of the torch. And so they correctly figured, well, something might come out of that hole, but you know, I gave them all the information. What it was, the the setup here is when you turn the handle, oil comes out of the hole and it goes through the flame and, so if you're standing in front of the door, turning the handle, you get hit with flaming oil. But they, okay. they, but I gave them enough clue, and because they looked at, they examined the door. I gave them all that, you know. I told them, hey, there's this hole, you know. I gave them the information. I think now they thought an arrow was going to come out of the hole, so they just had somebody stand there. But they had some magic shields, so I just let the the flame come off the magic shield. But where they described their standing, I let them make agility roll so they didn't get splashed when this flaming oil hit the ground which they made. So it was okay. But, um, but I, you know, I wasn't going to make them do a, well, do a spot hidden check or do a, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. I'd rather describe it to them. Sure. And if they ask the right questions, I, I just, you know, give them the information they need. Now, now in this case, I didn't tell them oil was going to come out of the hole, but they were smart enough to realize something was going to come out of the hole, which was enough to, you know, save their bacon in this case. If they hadn't examined the door and just opened, opened it, then, you know, it, it would have been, you know, it had been one, but it, it worked out. But yeah, I, I think puzzles, it depends on the players, right? Because there are some players that enjoy puzzles, but not all players do. And, and I think that's where you need to know your group. Because if you're, if people in your group don't enjoy puzzles, then really you're just torturing them by putting in these fancy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not a puzzle guy. Um, Right. Actually, I'm not a huge fan of um, like hardcore investigation games. Um, Guy Pringle uh, can tell you that him and I have had many debates uh, late at night while I probably had too many beers about it. And it's funny because my next game I'm running, Kamikakari, is actually, it's like an investigation game, but I, it's not going to be super um, hardcore. But uh, so I have two questions uh, for you about player agency. And I'll start with one and see where it goes. I'm sure your viewers are like, man, this 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 
fuck is going all over the place. They don't know what they're doing. First one is, have you ever run a situation? Because I've heard this, someone else mentioned this on a different podcast where they started a new adventure and they created some sort of thing and they didn't, they actually didn't know how to solve the problem. They just presented a thing and they wanted to see what the players did about it. And so in their head, there was no, there wasn't like, well, one of three things could work, or there's like five different solutions to this that I'm thinking, but they just threw out a problem and, and then they gave it to the players and then the players had to go and try to fix it. What, what are your thoughts on, on that? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I personally, I, I've put out solutions without fixed or put out problems without fixed solutions. But oh, I've always thought a little bit about, well, they might do this or that. I don't think I've ever thrown out anything and not had any concept. Of, you know, I've always thought about, well, they might do A, B, or C, right? And I've definitely had where I've thought they're going to do A, B, or C and have players do C or do, you know, G, right? Do something totally different. But like, here's an example. We did um, in a sh- in not shadow run in um, altered state in the which you played in one of my altered state games, which is a cyberpunk yeah. game using ICRPG. But the other group in that, well, even in your group, when they came up in the first game. You guys were there, and you, you were at the. You went to the farmhouse, and you're there in the field, and the bad guys show up, and and I think you were hacking, and you hacked yeah. into the police car. And said, "Oh, I'm going to do for. I'm going to do." Um, <laughs> Started running into them with the. Police yeah, I'm going to start yeah. running into the cars. I'm going to use the cars yeah. to do. Um, what do you call them? Um, where you're driving around in circles. Um, I'm going to do. What, what do you call that? What's that? Donuts. Donuts. Yeah, I'm going to do yeah. donuts and start slamming the cars into them. I, you know. I had thought about something. I never thought, oh, he's going to grab control of the car and do that. But, you know, why not? Right? So I totally let you do it. That wasn't a problem at all. You know, yeah. another altered state situation, there was a situation where some bad guys showed up. And, and, and they were there. And, and, and the players did did something. You know, the the I, I forget what it was. Oh, I know what it was. The the players. So basically, this the, they, they were running out of where, of a of a building where they're, they're trying to escape it, a security force. And this, this big black car shows up in front of them. And, and these three guys get out and they're just standing in front of it. They got these long trench coats on, you know, real intimidating kind of guys. And um, the players say, well, we're just going to ask them for their car, which I, that was you know, I figured game. they'd shoot at them or confront them. <laughs> they said, we're just going to ask for the car. And I said, well, okay. They, 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 they step aside. They offer their arm up and say, go ahead and take it. Because of course they're you know their car's chipped and they know where they can track their car, yeah. so the players got in the car, but it's effectively low jacked or whatever. So you know, but that, that was also the game a game I was in. That was not my idea though. Oh, was that your I group that did that? Yeah, it was yeah, my that group. Was your that group. Did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because the other group, Pete Jones was in, and they they fi- just fired a grenade at him straight off. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that was Joe uh, Blind Rat. Is this person? Yeah, yeah, it was Joe. Yeah. That, Joe. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was your group. That's right. Yeah. It might have been Joe's idea. I don't know. Yeah, but you know, I was like, "Hey, why not?" You know, that's you yeah. know, I I never thought you would just ask for the car, but you know, in that situation, it makes sense that they would have their, you know, they would have a, a you know, bug on the car. So why not let you take it? You, you know, and, and just follow pick, and you, I, pick you up later. And as a player, I I'm look, you know, I'm really interested in doing things differently. Like, because so if I'm playing a bard, 
like let's say I'm playing a non-combaty type character in a game. Um, if I'm playing one of those characters, my character is probably not very, very good at fighting. And let's face it, when we're playing Dungeon Dragons or whatever game we're playing, uh, there's going to be fighting most mm-hmm. of the time. I mean, that, I mean that's that's I mean that's it is fun. I, I I like to you know kill some goblins just like anyone else. So if I'm playing a non-combaty character, I'm probably going to try to think of things that are different because otherwise it's I roll with my plus zero bonus and I do one d6 different things to do and when the game master squashes that it it feels like like why are you squashing that like I what I was going to do wasn't going to break the game you know what I mean like it was just like a little like flavor thing it's kind of like um if if a player character, what was I listening to? I was listening. Was it? I was listening to like an actual play. Oh yeah, it was an Esper Genesis actual play. And one of the player characters was like, I run and I jump and I spin through the air with both my sabers. And the, I remember, I could, I can distinctly remember game masters I've played with in the past. Character have, uh, and I'm doing a funny face right now for those not on the Zoom. Does your character have the ability to fly through the air and do double saber spins? And you're like, uh, no, I, they don't. Well, okay, that's at a minus 10 then. It's a minus 10. Sounds difficult. So, you know, the, the game master was like, okay, roll for attack. It, it, it didn't have any special effect. It just the guy wanted his character to look cool doing his normal attack, right? Like, What's so bad about that? Like, there's why, nothing bad about that. I'm fully in favor of that. That's, or like, yeah. Or or game masters. If I'm like, oh, when I cast my, my magic missile spell, can it like emanate from my mouth instead of my hand? Because I think it'd be cool if the magic. Now, I might think that's kind of silly, right? I might be like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why do you want magic missiles to come out of your mouth? But if the player really wants the magic missiles to come out of their mouth and they have no mechanical advantage advantage and it's not you know obviously i don't want characters in my games doing like racist or super sexist or whatever things but if it's not something that like breaks the game or or ruins the fiction you know i I know there's some stuff where people are like i just i can't buy that it just doesn't work in my head you know i I don't want it to like i mean if the guy was gonna shoot magic missiles out of his butthole then yeah (laughs) you can edit that out if you want but like william wallace and uh braveheart uh so, you know, but uh, yeah, if the guy. I don't know why, you know, I get why a lot of people dungeon master and maybe you don't dungeon master for this reason, but I think a lot of it comes down to control and, and people want to control their little thing that they're doing, whether it's a story or a, a vision that they have. And I think that that sometimes gets in the way of the fun, you know, like if you're playing with a bunch of people and like, let's say I want to run a game and I'm like, I want to run uh, an all human, no magic, like super gritty game um, where, you know, um, there's only two characters. The abilities of those character classes are eliminated. You know, if you're, if you're, if your group wants to play it, then cool. But if, if you're playing with a bunch of people who want to play, like pathfinder that's probably not the right (laughs) game to run for your group and you're going to really squash and that's maybe it's a little outside of player agency but you're going to really squash their creativity in that in that area 
Oh yeah, definitely. And, and, and I'm lucky because most of the game masters I played with are, they're in favor of the players also having a stake in the world and helping with a little bit with the world development. And, and, and I'm the same way. So like, and again, back to this Barbarians Lamari game, but in this most recent episode, Arlen is playing Arlen Walker of Live from Helen's Wasteland. He's playing Amazon. And one of the careers he picked for that character was Oracle. So she had a history of, you know, being an Oracle for the gods. So when he was ready to invoke that talent, because they wanted to call up a, a spirit of the dead to try somebody that died in the labyrinth to get some info, to get some, you know, information on the labyrinth. I asked, describe to me what, what that looks like. When, when you invoke your Oracle thing, when you invoke your, you know, gods, when you query the gods, do that. What does it look like? And I let him describe that. And it's the same thing. I've been in a lot of games where somebody's magic missile. Okay, describe to me what your magic missile looks like. And I think that's one thing Savage Worlds does so well. Savage Worlds just has a few basic spells. They have like a bolt spell and a blast, you know, like whatever. But and then you you can you you can make that blast spell customized to your character as far as what it looks like. Well, yours might be a blast device. My blast spell might be a swarm of insects that hit somebody. Mechanically, it's the same effect, but we can, you, you know, as far as the the look of it, the special effects, you can customize your character. Savage Worlds also does something cool is in which this goes back to your bard thing, where you can do th- you can do things in combat that aren't attacks, but are things like mental attacks or charisma attacks, like to like the whole thing, like hey, look behind you to you know to basically to distract the opponent which will give one of your buddies a plus when they try to hit them those kind of things and and so it has those kind of moves in there so a non-combatant can still be effective in combat because they could be distracting an opponent or they could be buffing their their buddies in a combat you know what i mean or maybe they could throw sand in his face and then the barbarian hits him with his his club or whatever right so yeah. Sa- Savage Worlds does that really well. And I think some of the narrative light games do that really well. But I think games like, and I know Pathfinder probably has that because they have a built bajillion feats that I Joe will call in and tell us what feats Pathfinder has to right. that non-combatants can get involved. But I think D&D maybe suffers a little bit, especially when you get fifth edition, I'm not as familiar with, but I think when you get like three point, well, 3.5 has a bajillion feats too. But, you know, especially when like first, second edition, there's not a whole lot non-combatants can do during a combat, during a fight. In OSC games, some of them suffer from that as well, where games, right. you know, your, your narrative games give you a little more leeway there, I think, to to do those kind of things. And something like Monster of the Week and, and your play by the Apocalypse game, powered by the Apocalypse games, definitely have ways you can buff your buddy's attacks. The, most characters have moves where they, I forget what the wording is, but there's a word you can do something. They'll basically give, you can give another player a plus two to their hit or something like that. You know what I mean? I think so. it's called help out. Um, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the example is we, we played a monster. We played a couple of monster week games. I know you haven't got to a combat yet in yours, but there was one where we were fighting like this chameleon creature. And I think my character had a baseball bat or something and it need to be hurt by silver. And I didn't have a silver bullets or whatever. One character had silver bullets in their like 357 revolver or whatever. So one point I was like, okay, so I can't hurt this thing. My character's like 
you know, he's pretty good at shoot. I mean, just based on the way things worked out, like at shooting stuff, but he's not like a brawler. He's not going to go and like put on some silver brass knuckles and be mm-hmm. a creature. So yeah, at one point I was like, okay, in my head, cause it's a narrative game. I'm like, I want to try to grab him and put the baseball bat like across his chest, you know, and I'm going to stand behind him, which is kind of risky. Hopefully my buddy <laughs> when he shoots him doesn't shoot me, but you know, I'm going to try to prop him up so that he can, he can, he can shoot him. And, and, you know, the game master or whatever that's called in that game keeper or whatever, he was like, Oh, okay. It sounds like you're trying to help out. And I'm like, that was what I was hoping you would agree to, but yeah, that's, you know, mechanically, that's what I'd like. I'd like to add a plus two to his role. Um, but yeah, I think that's the case. Uh, back to Pathfinder, and Joe could probably correct us on this, but my memory serves me right. Uh, you're a bull rush guy. Um, you're like a two-weapon specialist, and you attack a billion times per round. If you don't specialize in like the disarm or trip feats, and you try to do those things, your chances of success are usually pretty poor mechanically. It's like you get like, you know, I'm just throwing out a number here, like minus four, right? So that's like a minus 20% in that game, you know, or any D20 game. Mm -hmm. So it, I have always felt playing those games where it was like, oh, I want to disarm this guy. I'm like, well, I don't have the improved disarm feat. And so it's. Yeah. Or I'm going to try to trip this guy like, oh, I don't have the improved trip feet, so I'm not very good at tripping people. So I'm, I'm not I, it's unlikely that I'm going to succeed at tripping, um, you know, I'm sure Joe. Can. Well, well, yeah. And that's where the like, say, Savage Worlds, I think, does really well because it's based on the non-combat attributes. So like when you try to like trick somebody and, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's basically your intelligence or smarts or whatever it is in Savage Worlds. Right. And okay. I, I've got the, the, the venture edition. I haven't opened the box yet. It's sitting over there, but anyway, I, but point being, yeah, Savage Worlds, when you're trying to do these things like, like trick an opponent or distract an opponent, you're not, you're using, you know, things like charisma or intelligence that are the, and people calling correct the terms I'm using, but, but you know what I'm saying, folks, but you're using the things you're already strong in to do it in combat. So if you're a, you know, if you're a cleric and you're high in wisdom, it would allow you to use your wisdom to be effectively make an attack, which won't do damage. But when you when you succeed, it'll give your buddy a plus two, if if that makes sense in like D and D terms. So it no, lets you use your sense. strengths to do it. But but I think let, let's go back to one thing because I because we're running. I apologize because I know I'm keeping you. I know you got important things to do, and, and we didn't describe this, but my listeners like will beer. Exactly, and that's where I was going to go to. We're going to take a quick sponsor break here. I am drinking um, uh, Gimlet, of course. Oh, Gimlet! With, what? With a, a Gimlet, which is which is roses. It, it's it's a roses like a sweetened lemon juice. It's like lemon juice and sugar, and uh, or it's cane syrup. Actually, it's not very good. The roses these days kind of crap components and, and gin. So it's just lemon juice and gin. So it helps against scurvy. What gin? What gin are you drinking? I I I, I like Beef Eater. It's it's not overly expensive, but it's yeah. it's a good classic yeah. gin. Um, it's not a great gin, but it's it you know it's serviceable gin. You know it's not it's bottom of the barrel. 
it's better than the plastic bottle gin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like the, the lowest I'll go in gin is Gordon's, which okay, is still Gordon's. A, yeah. Gordon's is still a classic gin, but it's but it's pretty. Gordon's is a pretty bomb of the barrel though. Wait, yeah. if, it's not great. Gin. Gordon's is not good gin, but it's it, the pro, If you get really sh- crap gin, then it's it, you'll wake up with a headache the next day, without a doubt. But what 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 beer are you drinking, Eric? So I have two beers here. So first half of this uh, podcast, I uh, started with just a 12-ounce beer, and it had a very gamer feel to it. It's called uh, Three Floyds uh, Barbarian Haze IPA, and uh, Three Floyds is out of Munster, Indiana, and this was a double-hopped, dry-hopped IPA, about uh, 6% or so, nothing crazy. And the second is is a brewed here in my homeland of Wisconsin. It's called Monster. Hustle IPA, and uh, while it's an IPA, it's a completely different flavor. It's uh, it's done by the Brewing Project, which is out of Eau Claire, um, Wisconsin, and they're making a lot of awesome beers right now. If you can get a hold of them, but this one is a Blackberry Lemonade Monster Hustle IPA. So it's an India Pale Ale with Citra hops, blackberry, and lemon. So it's definitely sweeter. It's got a little bit of a funk to it. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of has like a sour. If you're like a like a slight Belgian sour flavor to it, but it's pretty good. Uh, the dangerous part of this one is, I believe, uh, it doesn't say on the can here, but thing kind of has like a Simpsons vibe to it, I guess. Yeah, you broke out just for a second. It, it you you I lost audio between when you said dangerous. And oh, Simpsons. It, so re say that. It's dangerous because it's nine percent. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And it, and it's and I said the can kind of has like a Simpsons vibe to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, like, I see that. Or, yeah. Or demented Muppets, whatever you want to yep. go with. So there you go. So that's what I'm drinking right now. Very cool. So let's go back to we're we're running a little bit long. And I want to be conscious of your time. But one thing we wanted to talk about, and I think we've talked effectively if you're creating your own scenarios how to do because the the intent of today's today's conversation interview was how do you run the game you want to run while still allowing for player agency and i think we've talked about it a little bit when, when we've done our written scenarios but the hard part here is what do you do when you're running a pre-made scenario a module yeah. when you're running somebody else's scenario and, and that's and i think the answer to that for me and i'm in inter- i well, i know what my answer is but i'm curious what your answer is so I don't know if you want me to, if you need a second to formulate, you want me to say what my answer is, or if you're ready to. No, I'm, what you think. I'm ready to roll. I think because okay. I'm I'm dealing I'm dealing with this right now as a prep for Kami Gakari. The way it was laid out, so um, I guess ultimately I'm the game master and I can change it. <laughs> So that's, that's what I do. I change it so that I feel like I'm giving the players um, choice. And then I also have to be ready to change the scenario based on the decisions that they make, right? Like if they decide to do something different, then I have to be ready to be like, okay, how is that work in this scenario? And how can I make this scenario change based on what they've done? I'm also, I'm also, um, prepping um, for Humblewood next year mm-hmm. in the book, because I feel like it hits the vibe of what Humblewood is supposed to be. And 
I, it's a campaign, right? And so like for a one, a one shot, like I'm running a module, I feel like I can adapt on the fly pretty well, but a right. campaign, what if the player characters come across an important NPC and they just decide to kill him? I mean, it's just like, yeah, we, we whack them. We don't, we don't like that NPC. But when you read the campaign, that NPC has a big impact um, later on in the campaign. Um, there's also a part in the Humble One campaign that I really don't like. If very early on, there's an early encounter. And they basically say that the, um, the bad guy, the player characters, it, the way they initially describe it, it almost sounds like the player characters can't catch them. And I hate that, right? And players hate that too, right? It's like the bad guy gets away thing. That's like a that's like a game master crutch where mm-hmm. you just like crush whatever the players are doing. And like I, you know, so I have to be ready when I when I'm ready to run Humblewood, that if if that situation happens, like and the player characters decide to chase after them, I'm gonna have to create the scenario differently so that if the players have a legitimate chance of capturing that person if that or catching up to them if they want um i'm not going to just have it where you know, type thing and and the game and you know i i that i think that would ruin the game and the players wouldn't trust me and they wouldn't want to play my game anymore at least i that's what i think so um but uh that that's how i believe you're supposed to handle it the problem i have is when I read these scenarios or pre-made things or published things, I almost think of them like a procedure. And mm-hmm. uh, in my day job, following the procedure is very important. So it's hard for me to break from that because I, I see it as like a written instruction of like how to do this thing. So like my uh, there's part of my brain that wants to rebel against me tr- changing the scenario. I Yeah, so that... That's interesting. That's interesting point. So let me hop in there. Um, so I, I tend not to run modules for that reason. Now I am running and I apologize to you. I'll get something typed up tomorrow. I, I know our top secret game is kind of stalled a little bit. You, you know, what's silly about that is the days I'm off are the days I tend not to do anything on the play by post stuff. <laughs> it's, it's like when I, when I can steal a few minutes at work. Right. You know, I'll, I'll post a bunch of stuff and then when I'm off, I'm doing other stuff. So I'm not posting, but I'll get caught up. We're going to do that. That's a pre-written module that that I'm, I'm modifying some, but, but we're going to roll with what you do with it. So it'll be okay. But I don't want to talk about that. Although I think in my next podcast, when I release it, I need to hurry up and post because I talk about the, the briefing that you haven't got I haven't typed out yet for you I'm, I'm waiting I'm waiting for it I, I know I'll, I'll type it up tomorrow I, I will <laughs> I gotta take the tiger the vet and then after I take the vet but anyway but pre-made modules that's one of the, the problems I have with pre-made modules because I don't you know I don't necessarily mind railroads and the whole idea of the you, you know the um the quantum ogre and all that I, I can roll with that and do like, I kind of did that a little bit with my guys in barbarians, Lamori. Like I, I had a chart of, of traps that they were encountering when they go through labyrinth. And so what I did is I had them roll and you, you know, depending on what they rolled is what trap they came across, but I was pretty much made sure that they came across all the trap, the interesting traps I had, but by the end of the game, cause I want them to come across them. So, so I, I did the quantum ogre thing a little bit there, but, but the order they popped up in was 
kind of random. But the thing with modules and what you're talking about there, it depends how long the scenario is, right? So if it's like a one or two session scenario and they kill an NPC early, that can be an issue. If it's a longer term thing like campaign, then I think you just need to be, I think the key is for you as a GM before you run a game, and this is something Andy Goodman over at Exhibition of the Grizzly Peaks, he's currently talking about prepping for a long game. Like he's talking about prepping for masks and Nyarlathotep. And I hope Andy calls in because, or maybe I'll reach out to him because I'd like to hear his ideas on this too. Because he's definitely experienced this when he's run his games where he's run a module and players have tried to derail them. Not intentionally, but their actions would have derailed the module. Right. Um, but I think the key there is if the player wants to kill an NPC that's important later on, the key, so number one is you as a GM need to know what you're running inside now. You need to be fully familiar with that module. So you need to know if that this NPC they're going to kill is important later in the game, right? But I don't think you stop them. If they could kill them at that point, I don't think you stop them from doing it. I don't think you give them that magic out. You let them kill them, and then maybe their wife or their lover pops up and replaces them in that role they would have been in. Or maybe another lieutenant steps up. or You, you know what I mean? So it, do, it doesn't have to derail the module. Depending, I mean, depends what they're doing, but you could always throw somebody, you know, another character in there to fill that slot and depending who they are. And if you know their backstory, what, you know, if you're familiar with it, then you'll know whether it's their, their wife slides into that slot, you know, like think about, I don't know if you watched, um, Daredevil on Netflix, it's been out for a few years, so so I'll spoil it, but you know, so when Kingpin goes to jail, his wife slides right into the slot of the crime boss, right? And she's yep. or- orchestrating the organization. Well, so that kind of thing. You, you know what I mean? So if the players well, are just if, – if he had killed Kingpin, then at that point she becomes the new Kingpin effectively. And they, so she's going to carry on with whatever plots, nefarious plots that he has going on. So it won't, it won't derail the campaign. Was it you and I that were discussing the other night um, that you were talking about a module where if you, like, kill the boss – then his lieutenant just takes over and the module says just to give him the exact same stats as the boss. No, that wasn't us, but oh, okay. I could see doing that. I could see doing. So for me, depending on the, like I did have stats for the Minotaur in the maze or in the labyrinth that I just ran, but I've definitely run oh. games before where the, the, the boss doesn't have stats depend. You, you know what I mean? Where like, and, and I, I bet like, and I don't know, but like for solar blades, I, and I haven't read the full rules. I, I, I have bought them from Diogo because Diogo, you know, he's put a lot of D- Diogo's stuff is worth buying. If people don't own like solar blades, cosmic spells, and uh, was sharp, it? sharp swords, and, and yeah, yeah, the toolkit alone is worth it. Yeah, buy his games. They're they're well worth. It. Same thing with Kevin Crawford. Buy his games are well worth it. But so I, but I actually haven't read Solar Blades because you know we've been playing it, and I didn't want to get any GM, you know, get any backstory. Unlike some GMs that, you know, like to know what the monsters are so they can use that knowledge, meta knowledge. I don't like to do that. We, we don't name anybody. But um, the point being, I, I don't know what the stats for overlords, cosmic overlords and solar blades are, but I could definitely see a solar blades where they don't have stats. Like the way you defeat solar over cosmic over, overlords is not through combat, right? 
No, you wouldn't. They would, they would probably, um, they, they could probably just one shot kill someone based on yeah. how powerful they are. You know? it, well, it's it, like D and D. Like I think putting yeah. like D and D, like the old editions, I don't know about five E, but the old editions, like if you got about deities and demigods, you bought the editions that had like detail, all the gods, like they had yeah. hit points for the gods or like Cthulhu right. is hit points for Cthulhu. No, that's stupid. Cthulhu doesn't have hit points. Like you can't, you can't nuke Cthulhu, right? It doesn't work. You know, 10 minutes later, he reforms and now he's radioactive. I mean, well, that's what happens when you nuke Cthulhu, right? Yeah. So, well, and you can't kill like Zeus with hand to hand combat. It just doesn't work. Oh, well, perfect example of that is in my Solar Blades game, the sentient star, you can't kill a sentient star. Right. It, it's, it's too powerful. It's, it's, uh, so they would have had to use like the void crystal they had or some other thing, like just shooting it with, with gun, yeah, a different solution. Definitely, definitely, yeah. You can't just use violence, which is cool, and, that, and that's fine. I don't have an issue with that, and and so, but it depends on the game because if you're playing, so say you're playing gangbusters, you're playing a, a mafia game, right, or you're yeah. playing a gangster game in the twenties. And they see Al Capone in the street, and they decide they're going to run him down with a car. Well, I mean, you know, Al Capone's a, a guy. He might be a fat guy, but he's a guy. So you, you can run him down, right? And right. if you run over Al Capone, you don't, you know, at that point, then somebody is just going to fill a slot. Somebody else is going to step in and take over that that mob. You know, somebody's going to fill that power vacuum. So... I don't know, but I think the key to that you, for you, the GN, to be familiar enough with a scenario. So if you're running a module, you you really need to read that module and be familiar with it ahead of time. So if they do something at at, at a bat, something unexpected, you can adjust for it. You should never tell the players, "No, you can't do that." Now there might be something that stops them from doing it, right? You know, there might be a reason they can't do it, but it should never be a no. No, you can't go over the mountains. No, you can't do that. You, you know what I mean? It, you, it should always, if they want to do something within reason, they can do it. There might be consequences for what they do. Right. Yeah, I think you that's know. I think that's the important yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but and I think it depends. The other thing that depends is is that my, are you playing a quote unquote one shot like a game at a convention? Or are you playing a long-term campaign? Because if you're using a module long-term campaign, I, I think it's definitely you as a GM should should expect to have to deviate from the module as they make different decisions, right? If you're playing a camp a convention scenario, then maybe you can, you know, quote unquote railroad them is a little bit more expected. Yeah, because you're trying to accomplish a thing. Yeah. Yeah, you have four hour time slot to do whatever. <laughs> so, so what's interesting is there's there's um there's three there's two scenarios that I have run multiple times as a convention style. One is for solar blades and cosmic spells. I've ran the starter adventure for that three times. Mm-hmm. And then for mecha hack, I've I created my own scenario and I've run that twice. Which crazy in the five times between the two different games, they have played out exactly the same. <laughs> and I've given the the players complete agency to do whatever they want. I mean, there's like minor things of like the in between stuff, but the players have basically all made the exact same choices in those games. 
point yep. in, in the same way and kind of finished it. In Solar Blades, it always ends with people throwing grenades. Like if <laughs> just that's just what happens. They 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 beeline to the top of the space station and they throw grenades at the prison warden. Um, that's that's what happens. And then in my mecha hack game, I give them a three pronged approach. They can either go through like these mutated uh, radioactive forests. They can go through these uh, kaiju fields, or they can go through these lava fields. And every single player, uh, I've only run it twice. Oh no, I've run it three times. I, they've decided to go through the mutated forest. Like they see that as the lowest level risk. So sometimes you get players agency and you know, they just. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Sometimes play. So you, uh, you broke out after you said you give players agency. It, sometimes oh. they'll pick the. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. You broke out a couple times tonight, but it's okay. Um, the you, you know it's interesting because again, fall back to the most current game I'm running, but the Barbarians game, you, you know, I had them do this little Olympics thing, and then would they PCs won the Olympics, and then the king called them forward and said, "Hey, you know, I want you to do this this quest for me," but they had a couple choices. They could have turned down the they could have turned down this quest from the king, but then they, they're supposed to fulfill the two labors that Hercules did that were thrown out. So in, in Greek mythology, Hercules, depending on what version of mythologies you did, he had 10 labors or 12 labors. And the reason you have 12 is because two of them didn't count. So you had to do two additional ones. The Hydra didn't count because somebody helped him and the um, cleaning the stables didn't count because he got paid to do it. So anyway, in this, in our game, they had to, they had to kill the Hydra and clean the stables and they could have gone either way. It was up to the character, the PCs, which what they wanted to go do. And they decided the Hydra sounded more fun than cleaning the stables. (laughs) (laughs) I would have liked to see what, what what that adventure looks like for cleaning the stables. Yeah. But but I was ready to go cleaning the stables. Right. And they could have gone either way. And then I, you know, and, and I made sure, and I've been making sure I've been filling in a little bit of detail with them, but, you know, in case. So the Greek myths, there there are lots of variations to some of these Greek myths, and I want to make sure that they had the information I was running off of, you know. So at least in one version of Hercules killing the Hydra, he had a sword that was given to Athena, that you know the goddess that gave gave he had Athena's sword, which let him kill cut off the final head. So I let I made sure they knew that was the version of the myth that you know is in the world they're playing in. So they and went to go they, get Athena's sword, right? I right. Think you well, that. they knew yeah. Athena's sword, right? So they knew Athena's sword. The Amazons had it because, um, yeah, I'm drunk. Arlen's character was an Amazon <laughs> or is an Amazon, so he knew that her that her, the Athena's sword is over in the land of the Amazons. Sure. But so they. But they, you know, they they could either so they had the option to go get that, but they said, "Hey, why should we do that? We can just go to Mount Etna and ask Hephaestus, the the smithy god. We can ask him to make us magic weapons." So that's what they decided to do. Which, okay, you can go do that. I mean, he's not just going to give you weapons, but that's how they ended up in the labyrinth. But anyway, involved there. Yeah. So what would have happened if the players? Since we're talking about agency, mm-hmm. they win the Olympics. 
and they're like, ah, nah, uh, dude, we're good. Like, we're just going to go party in town. They, they could mean, have done that. They definitely could have done that. The the king would have had to find other champions to do his thing, and they would have told me where, where they want to go in the world. And it, the, the, I mean, So you would have turned it into a sandbox then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, part of it is, I mean, I, I mean, I I've think the, the I, I think there's a little bit, it's the, I don't think it's a rare, but I think there's a, like that pre idea. There's that, um, what's the word I want that, um, there's a word for this that's escaped me right now, but, but I think there's that buy-in that, you know, Hey, this is the first event, you know, the first, the first session we're playing, the King is presenting you with this thing. Hey, you've won the Olympics. You're my champions. Right. Please go do this. I, I think it, the buy-in is, yeah, you're playing the game. Is heroic heroes. You're going to go do this thing, right? But if right. they decided yeah. I mean, not to, I would let them go do something else. Sure, sure. It's just it's like those things. It's like that we're we're playing D and D here, or whatever you're playing. Mm-hmm. We're here to do quests and do things. You guys can sit around in the tavern all day. I think there's a a YouTube video where like the wizard never leaves the tavern or something like that. Cause everything sounds too dangerous. Um, yeah. But it'd like, that'd be like, if you're running a convention game, you got You got, you got your five people at the table. You're like, okay, you enter the tavern, the wizard, he looks at you and says, I have a quest for you. And then you say, Oh, well, screw off. We'll have to do something else. And then you're like, Oh, well, uh, you don't want to do the wizard's quest. Oh, that's the adventure. Peace out. I guess we got the next four hours to go, get some food and beer and just kind of hang out. <laughs> right. I mean, I, yeah, I think there's a certain buy and they're going to do stuff. I would have rolled with it, but, but I think everybody, everybody was on board to go do it, but right. that's why I gave them. I didn't just have one of Hercules labors for them to do. I had a couple and then I had different ways they could do them. So they right. had a bunch of options where they went and what they did. You're providing a railroad with multiple routes. It's like an Amtrak. Yeah, effectively. You could go to Chicago, you go to Los Angeles, you know, you get to pick. Right. Yeah. And, and, but if they had picked something totally different, you know, I would have rolled with it. You know, they didn't. Right. You know, but they, they decided to go. Like, I, I never, I didn't, it didn't occur to me they would go and ask his feasts to make them new weapons. Right. <laughs> right. But sure. Okay. Sure. Go for yeah, it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I'm down with that. So, yeah, I think that's important. I think you need to let the players play the game. It's a balance because, like you say, you need to be fans of the players, but you need to be able to run the game. You want you have to have fun running the game as a GM, too, because you're a player, too. Right. And, I'll, and I know that there's been – I've talked to some people, and we've kind of, like, gone back and forth, and it's, someone's been like, well, I guess screw it. I just – you know, I'm the GM. I don't get to have any fun. So we don't have to play the game I want to play. Now there's, there's a limit there, right? Like if, if, if you're just like, if every time a player says something, it's a fart joke and it's just kind of annoying and you just don't like the first time it's kind of funny and the second and third time you're like, okay guys, like enough with the fart jokes. Um, (laughs) I think learned quickly not to let us name villages anymore in his games, <laughs> because I mean, when you're put on the spot, you're like, name the village. You're like, uh, Mudsburg. You're like, okay, you come across another village. What's the name of the village? Um, it's a uh, Turdsburg, you know, and then it's like Cabbageburg, and everything's a burg at that point, or you know, it just, you know, sometimes you're just your brain doesn't work to thinking things, and yeah, you know, 
like I said, if, if they want to fire magic missiles out of their butt, then I, it's probably not the type of game I want to run. Um, you know, but if they want to shoot them out of their eyes, okay, that's fine. I, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. Or if their magic missiles want to appear as like blue Ravens that strike the guy in the chest. Yeah. It doesn't describe it that way in the, in the, in the rule book, but th- who cares if that's the way it happens? Right. Oh yeah. I'm totally for that. And I'm, I'm fine with, yeah, I'm totally down with players describing what their spells look like fighters describing what their attacks look like. You, you know, there, there's no harm in that. There, there really isn't. I remember so, uh, there was a, there was a game, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, go. Where I wanted to, my, my friend from mine in the Navy, he wanted to run a game. We had never played before. He, or, he had never played before, but he wanted to run a Star Wars game. He's a big Star Wars fan. So he's like, okay, I'll play Star Wars with you. And I, I don't remember which version of Star Wars we we're going to play. And my ship to reconfigure its like position when it entered the atmosphere. Like it flew a certain way in space and then it just like shifted position when it entered the atmosphere. And like he was such a Star Wars nut, he was like, "There's no ship in Star Wars that does that." I was like, "Okay, but this ship does. Like, it just it doesn't have any mechanical advantage, dude. It just you know it just changes position. It just goes from like horizontal to vertical. Which in the end, you know, Slave One does that, mm-hmm. uh, that ship. But um, he was like adamant against it. Yeah, that." That's a problem with canon worlds. Or, if you're gonna if you're gonna be so hardcore about, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't play in canon worlds. Like yeah. if someone's like, I love Wheel of Time, but if someone's like, man, let's play Wheel of Time, you know, uh, like with with D twenty because D twenty released a uh, they released a Wheel of Time game, I wouldn't play in it. It's just it's not it's too established. Now Star Wars, I do feel like for whatever reason the universe is big enough that you can play within it, but that's probably farther away from the player agency discussion that we're right yeah now. definitely well that's like i'm playing in a merp game or a middle earth role-playing game right now right and we're playing before the war of the rings so we're playing between the hobbit and the lord of the rings okay and uh but what we're doing is a, a, a an investig what we're doing is a little minor investigation in, in minus tirith where somebody's killed a, a blacksmith and a um one of the city scribes gone missing and we're trying to figure out what's going on and it look right now it looks like somebody some somebody is trying to get a master key to the the locks of the city you know maybe to set up a future invasion or something like that so and that's that's another one of those settings and i know like um your vintage of um Mm -hmm. role players really likes the merp system and and play settings where i'm like i feel like all the stories have been told there and i would have a hard time playing in it or running it because it's such a established beloved thing well that was one of the good things so if you look in um if you ever get a chance to look at those books one thing i or iron crown art prize to really go with their books is they provided story hooks typically for i don't have anything handy here to look at i don't have any of the books handy they're in the other room but they usually set they gave you f- like three or four different time frames you could play games in 
So they give okay. you like second age, third age, before the Lord of the Rings. They also give you fourth age, which happened after the Lord of the Rings. So they gave you different time periods you could run your adventures in. So like the Minus Tirith book, like when you look at it, like the Minus Tirith book has, this is what's happening in the city during these four different time frames. And whatever time frame you decide to run, this is what's happening. You know, so so you can use that source book for a second, you know, for all these different ages, not second age, but anyway, but, sure. and it also has information for after Lord of the Rings. So if you want to play totally, you know, so that's like playing star Wars after return of the Jedi, you know, because, well, I mean, you know, the only things that really happened after return of the Jedi might be like the Ewok movies. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, cause we <laughs> all know the Ewok can- movies again. <laughs> well, the Ewok movies are canon. The Anything after them isn't canon, but, um, well, they've already erased uh, the rumor is the, the most recent three in canon. So yeah, but anyway, yes, uh, but, I, I watched a lot of the Ewok movies as well. So. Right. But but at the time the Star Wars RPG came out, you know, because really the only Star Wars RPG is the D6 one. By the time that came out, you know, effective. Well, anyway, point being, yeah, canon worlds are tricky. Definitely. Um and it depends on your players, though, because if you have players that are willing to not play rules lawyer with you, it's okay. But if people want to always invoke, oh, well, so-and-so did this, then, yeah, it's a problem. Right. Like, I'm not – I mean, I've watched all the Star Trek movies. I've seen a lot of the shows, but I, I'm not into Star Trek lore. Yeah, Star Trek would be difficult for so me, too. If, yeah. if I were to run a Star Trek game, like, someone who's really into it could totally – rip me apart because i just i don't i i'm not into the world that much yeah i'm with you there i i've like i've watched the original series i like you know like with the um um anyway the, the original star trek the original series i watched i watched next generation when it came out i remember when that came out on tv you know and i watched that on tv but honestly i and i've seen a couple episodes of most of the series but i'm not big into star trek um Mainly because the everybody in Star Trek doesn't. Nobody in Star Trek has a soul anymore. Because once they transport them, bo- they destroy the body, and that's just a clone that's transported somewhere. So you know, you know they don't I've have never, souls once they go through a transporter. So, I've never you know, heard this argument before. So that's well, think about it. It you, yeah. you know you're destroying the body and you're re and you're remaking it somewhere else. So that's just a clone <laughs> that's being made. Uh, that's interesting. There used to be a site. I don't know if it's still out there. There, there used to be a website that I forget what it was called, but it basically was like Star Wars versus Star Trek. And it was like and the website was written for all from the Empire's point of view, Star Wars. And so like there was a thing on there about the the Ewok um, apocalypse or the not the apocalypse, the Ewok. Um, I forget what's the term. Where, anyway, but the um, yeah maybe apocalypse. But anyway, the idea that um, how Endor was destroyed when the rebels blew up the, the Death Star in return the or in um shit what's the third movie you can tell them return of the jedi return of the jedi so in return of jedi when they blow up the death star it's, it would have destroyed all life on on the moon of endor right okay you, you know that kind of idea and yeah. um so, so that that event and so it's um, just a cover-up yeah if, if, but 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 it also but it had this whole section on that website that talked about star wars versus star star trek and it was from the Empire, and the Empire talked about how the um, Star Trek, how their technology, and how they obviously didn't have souls, and they were, you know, all clones because of the transporter technology. And it, 
it was, it was pretty funny. It was pretty good stuff. So what does that what does that have to do with player agency, Jason? Well, if you don't have a soul, you don't have player agency. <laughs> that, that's it right there. There, there you go. I, I think we've solved this. But no, I think the key is that you let play, you know, it depends on the on the GM, but I I and I think you are both fans of the rule of cool. If, if somebody's doing something that doesn't break the game, but it makes it more fun, then let them do it. If it lets them yeah. have fun, if it doesn't hurt the other characters, if they're not doing it where it's stealing agency from other people, then what's the harm in it? I mean, it's one thing if they're being crude and, you know, it's all like, you know, butt jokes or it's, you know, sure. inappropriate jokes. That's different. We're not saying that. Does but it, if, doesn't that kind of go back to your, I, I, I don't know if I remember listening to the full episode about it, but it was about not to like pull old wounds that were on Twitter, but like the battle wheelchair episode. Like, if, yeah, what's the harm in it? I, I don't right, have any issue with that at all. Right. Like, who cares? Like, okay, right. the person's in a wheelchair. Like, yeah, it'd probably be more difficult to get through the forest, but we're also fighting dragons and orcs and casting magic spells. Who gives a, you know, we're not doing a, a like, this isn't sim, like, world, right? Where we're trying to simulate the world. Right. Because if we're going to do that, we're going to play Aftermath. And, and then we'll, we can simulate the world. But <laughs> Right. Which actually, Shane Dandy over at Unguard Treasure B fifty two has talked about running an aftermath game, so I'm looking forward to that. I but, think um, I saw. I think that book almost. I you know that was one of those where I was like cruising through drive through, and um, you know I'm addicted to Kickstarter, drive through, and Patreon. So mm-hmm. that was one of those ones where I was like, oh man, I might buy this. I was pretty close. There was a, there was another. I don't know. I was looking at some other Kickstarter and maybe start looking at other settings and i was like oh my but i had willpower i made my will safe i did not i did not purchase it yeah i i, I don't know um but yeah i uh, i think we've probably talked this one at least in a circular pattern so i think we'll let this yeah. go I but agree. um i i thank you for your time i i appreciate your your joining me today and I look forward to talking to you again. Uh, thanks, Jason, for having me on your show. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, you're welcome back. Is my, is, is my camera on? It is not. Huh. I assumed it, it's because you were jealous of my mutton chops.